For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to The Call-Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I am the co-founder of JustBaseball.com, as well as a prospect writer and analyst. And in today's episode, I know I said we were going to do the San Francisco Giants, but in today's episode, we are going to go through the New York Yankees farm system. And just to explain, for the sake of transparency here, the only reason why I pivoted to the New York Yankees from the San Francisco Giants is just that the Giants system has been taking me a little bit more time than I thought. I was hoping I'd have the Giants system right up done by today, but frankly, the system is deep and has so many prospects that I really think are unique cases that deserve a decent amount of time to be put into them because I think when you look across the giant system, there's a lot of narratives that need to be sorted out. For one example would be Patrick Bailey versus Joey Bart, who really makes sense long-term. I think Bailey obviously has more upside. Bart is a guy that's going to be the starting catcher most likely moving forward and going to get every chance, but I have my concerns with him. So that was a lot of time into putting into what the projection, the current state of both of those prospects and what their projections look like. Then you have guys, of course, like Marco Luciano, who you want to talk about for a good amount of time and just about how special they are and providing a little bit of a unique angle other than this guy's really good. He hits the ball really hard and he can be really, really good. Uh, Luis Matos is an interesting case as well as a guy with as much upside as anybody and also starting to put it together with that balance of high floor and still really high ceiling. You get the Kyle Harrisons of the world that I actually think is a top three prospect in the system. So I'm still already giving you a little bit of a tease into what the San Francisco write-up is going to look like. But then you go all the way through and you've got guys like Jairo Pomares, who is a really exciting piece. The case of Heliot Ramos, who is also another prospect that has long been a top 100 guy, probably one of the longest tenured top 100 guys on the lists, but also took a bit of a step back last year, still is young. So he's a very nuanced situation as well in the prospect realm of 
What does his long-term projection look like? How much did last season affect that or impact that? Or is it just rushed development? So this is a very layered system, and I could keep going on and on. you got guys like Seth Corey who are walking more than eight batters per nine but have interesting stuff. Nick Swinney is a guy I really like. Casey Schmidt is another intriguing piece. Will Wilson is another guy that could be interesting down the line. And then Ryan Murphy, another pitching prospect in that giant system. We've seen on top 100 lists, and then we've seen him rank 21st in the giant system alone. So he's another very polarizing prospect. All that to say, I want to make sure I do my due diligence and don't rush through this giant system right up. I'll never rush through it. I will delay releases if I have to, to make sure that you know you're getting a thorough write-up that got all of my attention, all of my checks and balances, was run through and run by other people to take a look at it and tell me if there's anything that stands out to them uh, in the industry that I respect that can tell me, hey, Aram, you're nuts for this, which almost never happens to that degree, but even just having a little bit of discourse to see if I went too far on one take or too far another way as well. Generally, I like to stick to my guns, but it always is really good to hear from other people and you know have some checks and balances in what you're doing. At the end of the day, you got to be able to do that. Generally, I rely on my relationships with players and just being able to talk to guys about who they faced and things like that to also build into these rankings. But of course, you got to talk to your peers in the industry as well. And there's some amazing people out there like recent guest Jeff Ponce, who can always give some great info or also just have great conversation so I can get a little bit of an idea of where I'm at and how that differs maybe from the industry and whether it's a fair take. And generally, Jeff has my back on those, uh, but he is just a wonderful mind. And by the way, he just launched his own podcast called The 90th Percentile and very excited to hear a little bit about that and hear some of those episodes over at Baseball America. But let's get back to this. So we're going to talk about the Yankees because this is a system I wrote up a couple months back. Uh, I've updated it a little bit through the last couple months in terms of just my write-ups on these guys. Figured I have to go through each of these systems that I've already written up at some point anyways, so why not do it in a time where I'm a little bit behind on this Giants write-up? Let's talk about a very interesting and I would say talented, but also a tad top-heavy Yankees farm system here that we've seen wild rankings in terms of where they stack up against the rest of the league, I guess. I think Keith Law just put out his farm system rankings had the Yankees at 22. I would say that's too low, uh, but we've also seen the Yankees as high as the top 10 in some other areas. So you get a little bit of everything there. I think they're somewhere between that. I think they're more in the 14, 15 range, middle of the pack, maybe a little bit better than that. Uh, But that really goes into how you feel about some of these Yankees prospects that are towards the back end of the top 10. There's several unheralded guys in this system that I actually think are worthy of a little bit more respect in the prospect ranking world than they get. And I'll talk about those guys, but of course we're going to start with the top end guys at the front of this system, which means you can't start with anybody other than Anthony Volpe, who really has a legitimate case to being one of the top five prospects in baseball very, very soon. I said that about Francisco Alvarez. It's going to be between Volpe, Alvarez, and a few others by next year to compete for some of those top three prospect spots as you have Bobby Witt, Julio Rodriguez, Adley Rutschman all graduate. Grayson Rodriguez probably graduating as well. Shane Boz, 
very well set to graduate after the first few weeks of this coming season. So you have a situation here where a combination of guys graduating in front, but also players just outside of that top 10 taking their game to the next level could combine to put them in that elite of elite range. And it wouldn't be crazy to me to see Anthony Volpe leapfrog somebody like Marco Luciano, ironically, as we're talking about uh, the giant system getting the bump for the Yankees here. I really think you could make the case for Volpe over Luciano right now if you really wanted to get down to it. And when we update the top 100, I mean, this is definitely going to be one of those really interesting sticking points because Look, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter who's 12 and who's 13 right now. It is Luciano from the previous list. It's Luciano at 12 and Volpe at 13. So theoretically, it does make sense to bump Volpe over him. But, you know, that that's, again, where we get to really splitting hairs. But people, of course, have a lot of fun in evaluating how we evaluate some of these exciting top prospects and how they stack up against each other. I would argue that Volpe gets the edge here and probably will be a top 10 guy or top 11 guy in the update because of how high his floor is. I mean, what Volpe did offensively this past season and what he did in terms of tapping into power, in terms of still flashing the leather, is just so darn impressive. I mean, this guy, after what was somewhat of a pedestrian rookie ball debut, which is understandable for a high school hitter, emerging in 2021 and just tapping into so much more power that I don't think anybody really expected to see through hard training in the offseason, making adjustments to a swing, building himself to be able to, one, be more physical, but also, two, naturally lift the ball a bit more and generate easy backspin. That's how we saw Anthony Volpe put together the ridiculous season that he did between low A and high A, which was a combined 294, 423, 604 slash line, 15% walk rate, 20% K rate, really 19.7 if you want to get super specific, and a 170 WRC+. plus. I mean, you can't ask for much more from a guy in his first full professional season. His numbers were insane in low A as a 20-year-old, hitting 302 with a 186 WRC+, plus, but his numbers were equally as insane in high A. Then the batting average took a little bit of a dip. The on-base percentage took a little bit of a dip. That's just natural because of the fact that from low A to high A, you're going to have guys that just have better command. Some of those walks were just ridiculous low A for uncompetitive pitches that you're going to see. That's why low A walk rates, you got to take them with a grain of salt. He walked 20% of the time there, whereas he walked about 10.5% of the time in high A, which is still phenomenal for a player of Volpe's type, a guy that you know swiped 33 bags between the two levels, a guy that you don't really want to just put on base. He still kept the K rate down at just 22.7% in high A. He doesn't chase a lot. The chase rates were well above average. He has really good plate discipline, makes good swing decisions, attacks the right pitches, and just knows when to try to hit it out of the park and when to try to drive the ball where it's pitched. And I think that's why we're going to see Volpe be a guy that's going to tap into sneaky power in Yankee Stadium, that's going to have a high on-base percentage throughout his career as he still had that 391 on-base clip in high A. And he's going to play good defense at shortstop too. So when you look across the board here, it's it's hard not to justify having 
Volpe ahead of Marco Luciano. They're not that far apart in age. Volpe still hasn't even turned 21 years old yet. Uh, the power production is there. Hitting 27 home runs doesn't matter if it's 120 miles an hour or 112 miles an hour. They all count the same, and Volpe's power seems like it's going to translate. Uh, you see the speed. He's not a burner. He's an above-average runner, but he's a really smart player, very cerebral and knows when to try to take the bag, when what pitches to run on. And it's the same thing at the plate that you see. It's the same thing in the field. He has phenomenal instincts, tools across the board, a good approach, and sneaky athleticism and sneaky power. All that combines for a guy that has a high floor, still combined with an extraordinarily high ceiling. And I, I think this is a guy that legitimately has a claim as the number one prospect in baseball at some point and will surely be a top five guy very, very soon. When you have that guy leading it off for your system and then leading it off for your big league team, hopefully very soon, you're in a good spot uh, as a farm and as a franchise. And the Yankees, I know, feel really good about Anthony Volpe. And that's a guy that is untouchable in any trade talks whatsoever. So let's move into number two here. And by the way, you can read all of these write-ups over at JustBaseball.com where you go to the Prospects tab. If you go to our Prospects vertical over there, we have one, the top 100 list, two, all the latest articles in there, but three, you also can sort, uh, you can go to best prospects or top prospects by team, excuse me, and then you can see all of the farm system write-ups that we've done already hyperlinked with that team, which you can see with the Yankees already as well. And, and the interesting thing here with the Yankees, though, is uh, they are going to be updated when the top 100 list comes out because of the reason that uh, there's going to be some tweaks at the top end. Nothing crazy, but I'm going to read it to you the way that it's going to be updated. So right now, if you go over to the list, though, all the grades, everything's going to stay the same. It's just going to be a little bit of an adjustment in who's number two, who's number three, because we're going to see Jason Dominguez drop down to number three, and we're going to see Oswald Peraza jump up to number two. So coming in at number two here is Oswald Peraza, another shortstop, which you should be very happy as an organization when your two top prospects are shortstops because you got a lot of a lot to work with there one it's really hard to just find guys with staying power to stick at shortstop who can also swing it but two you can almost move a shortstop anywhere on the diamond and they'll be all right uh, that's the other really encouraging thing and if they can swing it you're going to have no problem doing that. I talked to a lot of college coaches through the years who would just recruit shortstops as much as they could. Even if they had no intention of keeping them at shortstop, they would recruit as many high school shortstops as they could because generally that's where the best player plays. And also it just is a more athletic player who has the ability to command the infield and do a little bit of everything. And, and you have to have a certain skill set even to be capable there at a high level in high school or especially in the minor leagues. Oswald Peraza is a can't-miss-plus defender at shortstop. That's always been the calling card. When he signed for $170,000 in 2017, that was the big draw. A good runner who also comes with a plus glove that's going to translate. So you knew you had a shortstop here in a worst-case glove for shortstop utility guy if it doesn't pan out with good athleticism. But what happened with Peraza is he took his offensive game to the next level. Because of the lost 2020 season, we saw more players than ever. While it still wasn't a ton of players, we still saw more players than ever do the rare three-level jump, which is start in high A and somehow finish the season in triple A. It's still incredibly difficult to do and is a testament to how big of improvements you have made 
at the plate for an organization or for your organization to be a little bit skeptical in terms of how you're how advanced you're going to be going into the year and not knowing where you're at. So they want to start you in high A, but then by season's end, being so confident in you that they will put you in triple A is a testament to how much Oswald Peraza exceeded expectations. We'll go through the overall cumulative numbers across all three levels combined, and then I'll get into the individual levels and you know just the adjustments that he made at each spot and how he projects long-term. Overall numbers for Peraza. In 115 games, the guy hit 297 with a 356 on base, 477 slugging. It's a 126 WRC plus, 21% K rate, 7% walk rate. And the power, again, was something that really surprised and became more of a factor. 18 home runs, also swept 38 bags, was caught 10 times as the rules changed a little bit. The stolen base efficiency wasn't quite as good. He's still a guy that should be able to swipe 15 to 20 bags at the big league level because of that plus speed. Could even improve in that department because he has the plus speed, just the jumps need to get a little bit better. But again, you can really see the stolen base potential there. Now we're seeing 18 plus home run power. We're seeing, you know, 26 doubles. It's gap to gap with room for more, which is exactly what we saw. And the numbers stayed pretty consistent through every level. I mean, he dominated through high A, hitting 306, 386, 532. But after getting the call up to double A, which I've said long and time and time again, it was a huge jump last year. Peraza really didn't blink. 294, 348, 466 slash line in double A, which is more than good enough. Hit 12 home runs in 79 games. Spectacular. Glove was great there as well, and then even earned a little cameo in AAA where in eight games he hit a home run and hit 286, 323, 393. So numbers not quite as good there. It was only eight games, but was not blown up by any means, and will start the year next year in AAA. This guy's close to big league ready. He's a number two prospect in the system. Even though he's only six foot 165, he's able to tap into a little bit more juice than I think people expected. And again, when you have the glove that's already big league ready, you have a great feel to hit. You have the dynamic tools across the board and great bat-to-ball skills. You got to feel really good about the high floor of Peraza. Maybe not the ceiling of an all-star, but the ceiling of an an above-average shortstop who's going to give you a ton of defensive value and be a really interesting piece for you for a long time. I don't think a Brandon Crawford type of ceiling would be too crazy. Of course, think of Brandon Crawford every other year besides this past season. I mean, what what Crawford did this past season was absurd uh, thanks to some swing cha- adjustments that he made. But I think something along the lines of Brandon Crawford and what he's been is a very feasible ceiling, which I think you have to be thrilled with as a Yankee fan, uh, given that Peraza was a $170,000 international free agent and somebody that was not on a ton of radars going into the season, really. So big year for Peraza. And that was the theme for the Yankee system as a whole, right? I mean, the Yankee system came in as a big question mark going into 2022, or excuse me, going into 2021. And they just had so many players take big leaps that their system wildly improved even after trading guys out of town, even after trading the Josh Smiths of the world or trading the Ezekiel Duran and Trevor Havers. I mean, they dealt plenty of talent out and they still improved overall as a system to testament to the development and how many guys just took their game to the next level last year a guy that did not 
really take his game to the next level, though. Uh, probably the only guy, the only big name in the system that didn't quite do that. And what is the next level anyway, since this was our first chance of seeing him? And the number three prospect in this system is Jason Dominguez. And Dominguez is a guy that I have been very harsh on, and I'm going to be a little bit less harsh as we go through a little bit of just why Dominguez is still a legit prospect, aside from the fact that it was just one year. Um, I just also want to give the guy a little bit more time in terms of my breakdown and description on him other than just always trying to combat the absurd hype. The irony in this is that his card, his one-of-one one Bowman Chrome Refractor baseball card, which the Mike Trout version sold for over $4 million, Jason Dominguez is sold for nearly half a million, 474000 bucks. That is absolutely asinine. Absolutely asinine. And that's not to bash Jason Dominguez, but you could go get a one-of-one of, let's say, C.J. Abrams or a one-of-one of somebody like Francisco Alvarez for much, much less. Or even an out of 25 of the same card of Juan Soto for about the same price or less. So when you think about it from that perspective, it just shows you how much the hype can kind of get us out of touch with reality. I mean, I get it. If you're a big Yankees fan with the disposable income, you should just spend that on Volpe. You could probably put the same amount of money into Volpe's one-of-one and have $200,000 or more left over. I don't know what the price is on the other one-of-ones, but the point is almost all of them are cheaper than what Jason Dominguez just went for in auction. That is a testament to how absurd the hype is, and the craziest part is that prior to the season, if you had listed that card, it probably would have went for even more. I understand that when you look at a Jason Dominguez and if it all clicks for Dominguez, like if everything works out the way that you hope, which of course is just not how it works in the prospect world, but if that's how it happens with Dominguez, then you have a guy with probably more upside than some of the names that I mentioned, given how physical he is, how hard he can hit the freaking baseball as a switch hitter um, and also in New York. But at the end of the day, you got to calculate risk and upside. And I look at Volpe as a guy that legitimately could be one of the best shortstops in the game and comes with a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of the risk of Jason Dominguez. That's why I've always been you know, very outspoken about combating what I think is an unfair, absolutely unfair amount of hype on him. And that's something that the Yankees scouting director has said himself as well unfair how much hype we are putting and how much expectation we're putting on Jason Dominguez. All that to say, last year was disappointing in a lot of ways, right? The numbers were not great. Extremely young, right? He was 18 years old for a majority of the season. Actually, ironically, it is Jason Dominguez's birthday today. I didn't even realize uh, until I just was taking a peek at the numbers again to be able to read them out to you. Happy birthday, Jason Dominguez, 19 years old today. Um, so extremely young, obviously. Extremely, extremely young, still almost two years younger than Anthony Volpe. So at the end of the day, you still have a lot of time to get to where Volpe is, but I just don't think he's going to get there in the next two seasons. At the end of the day, too, still was, he wasn't terrible in low A. He just was not the super prospect that is worth half a million dollar baseball card uh, that you would have expected uh, out of international free agency, 258, 346, 398 slash line. That's good for a 105 WRC plus, which means he was 5% above average for that level. He had five home runs in 49 games and a 31% K rate. Uh, that's where things stood out to me. When I went and saw Dominguez play, that was what really stood out to me was 
how out of sorts his swing was from the right side, which, you know, we have a lot of switch hitters that are actually weaker from the left side, and that always stresses me out even more because you're going to get two-thirds of your at-bats from there. So it is better that Dominguez's swing is better from the left side, but his swing from the right side was was pretty disastrous at times. He was facing the Marlins in low A, the Jupiter Hammerheads there, and they were tossing a guy named Luis Palacios, who is a command over stuff guy, to say the least. Sits more in the upper 80s. Like, I'm not kidding. Sits in the upper 80s. And he was blowing some fastballs by Dominguez after setting him up with a changeup. Was able to get 80, 88 by him on multiple occasions elevated. And Palacios is not a guy that's blown at by hitters. But Dominguez has so much movement to his swing, so many moving parts prior to even launching that he really struggles to time things up, especially from the right side. And the swing is a bit out of whack and just out of control. And Palacios, a very, very polished command guy, the only way he's able to make upper 80s work, he was able to take advantage of that and really expose some of the issues with Dominguez. Dominguez did later flip around to the left side and crushed a fastball left over the middle for a home run that he honestly didn't even get all of. So you were able to see a little bit of the two sides of Jason Dominguez. The problem is it's going to be a lot harder as he climbs to get to that ladder side, the home run side that we saw, uh, because guys are just not going to miss middle-middle with their fastballs uh, like they did the five times Dominguez went yard. I mean, the guy did not touch breaking balls at all this year. Three for 52 against breaking balls, and this is not upper-level minor league breaking balls. These are pretty out-of-whack, poor-command breaking balls in low A. That's definitely a bit of a concern for me, right? I mean, when you are struggling to hit curveballs, low A curveballs, uh, that's a testament to the fact that he also has a bit of poor pitch recognition and also all the moving parts make it very difficult to be able to, one, pick up the spin, two, be in a good place that even if you're fooled, still be able to put a good swing on the ball, and three, uh, just even have the confidence that you can do any of those things. And I was wrong. I misspoke. He was actually three for 50 against breaking balls, uh, which is understandably a lot worse uh, with a ton of swing and miss. He you know, was not great against Velo, but I've already seen him make some tweaks to the swing uh, in terms of the pre-swing setup and all of the movement leading into it. Uh, we've seen him tone it down a little bit, which is great to see because he doesn't need all of that movement. He doesn't need the big leg kick because we know how physically strong he is and how he's able to impact the baseball. At the same time, some of the metrics that I've seen, he is not as elite in the bat speed category as you would have thought. He's still really good in that department, but a Jordan Walker, for example, has a, a lot, lot more bat speed and has already produced much higher exit velocities. Walker is about a year older, uh, maybe a little bit less, eight months to be exact, and is already producing you know, better exit velos, better bat speed, and much better swing decisions, right? This is a guy that was producing in high A and made a legit mockery out of low A pitching right out of the gate, uh, you know, for the St. Louis Cardinals right after getting drafted out of high school. So it's important to kind of put into context here. That's not compromising the ceiling, but there's a big difference in where these guys stack up in terms of what they've already shown without really limiting the upside, right? Like Jordan Walker still has as much upside as anybody in baseball and then showed that the floor maybe is not as low as we once thought it might be when he was first drafted. And now a lot of teams are probably saying, man, why didn't we take a chance on that Walker kid? Why didn't we think that he would be as good of a hitter as he was right out of the gate? Because, I mean, the guy was fantastic. Uh, so just looking at that from that lens, I think it's it's a fair conversation to have. All that's still to say that Jason Dominguez is a physical freak. Um, I don't think he's a plus runner. 
I think I think we've seen that he's closer to just an average to above average runner. Uh, you know, he just takes some time to get going. Once his, he gets to his top speed, he can move well, but that's more straight line speed. May start to translate a bit more in the outfield in terms of closing speed, but it's not going to translate in the bases that much, uh, and it's not going to make him a guy that's going to get great jumps in the outfield. I still think Dominguez is a corner outfielder where he would move pretty well for a big corner outfielder with his power profile could end up being a good defensive outfielder in the corner right now his reads are pretty brutal uh, but again that's this is a guy that hasn't even played that much competitive baseball I think there's a big difference even between Dominguez's experience and Jordan Walker who was playing at the top of every you know summer circuit and in the prep circuit and was the number one player in the country and you know was getting exposed to a lot of competition especially in the showcases all of that stuff I have no idea what Jason Dominguez was doing uh, prior to coming stateside in terms of getting that experience and getting that competition and experience under his belt so he could come out next year and look a lot better I just don't think that the tools when we're talking about the tools across the board I think the power is obviously very very real but even there I don't think it's that 80 grade power off the charts unmatched that we were seeing I think it's closer to 70 grade raw power that he has not even tapped into yet and there's not really room to fill out physically I mean he's pretty maxed out the guy looks almost a bit uncomfortable at times when he's at the plate there's not a lot of fluidity he's a little bit stiff because of just how physical he is how built he already is so for him really the the power is going to come from optimizing his movements being a little bit more elastic and getting his whole body incorporated rather than just being a big physical free swinger. Uh, so I'm excited to see how that all starts to translate next year. I'm excited to see how some of the swing adjustments translate and if the power can start to uh, shine a bit more in the exit velos and just being able to impact the baseball more. I think he should redo low A next year. Let's not rush this guy and let's let him really get his feet wet. Uh, Dominguez is still somebody that because of his build, because of his switch hitting ability, because of the athleticism still, is a top 100 prospect, but I think this was something that I was preaching back in the lockdown MLB prospect days way back, trying to emphasize the fact that there was just no way he was going to live up to the expectations in the first year, and that it was outrageous, the expectations that were being placed on him out of the gate. I think now we've seen a bit more of a realistic shift with people still being optimistic, and that is all good, uh, but... To be frank, if I'm trading one guy from this system out of the top three I just talked about, it's going to be Jason Dominguez. I would rather hold on to the other two guys, even if Peraza has a lower ceiling by a decent degree, because Dominguez could be a guy that realistically doesn't reach the big leagues, though I think it's fair to acknowledge the upside that he has and will continue to get better. I'm expecting him to have a much better season next year, but you're going to have to be better than three for 50 against breaking balls, I'll tell you that much. Uh, we'll move on to number four, and I'm going to try to start ex expediting uh, the rest of these breakdowns a bit more. Luis Heal is who checks in at number four. He's very close to graduating. Was really, really exciting to watch. Uh, as a right-handed pitcher, when he had to get called up, the Yankees were so desperate, they had to call him up in a bit of a pinch. And you know what? He somehow was good up there. And I say somehow because, I mean, it's obvious how he was good. His stuff is stupidly nasty. It is stupidly nasty. But at the same time, he really struggled with command and was just an escape artist for the Yankees at the big league level. Part of that, though, when you have insane stuff, you can you can strand batters or runners more frequently, right? Like you can get away with more when you have insane stuff. So it takes a little bit of the pressure off of a very, very fringy command uh, grade and some concern in the command department. But the VLO is, is 
up there. The spin rates are very high, and the slider is disgusting. He's got a decent feel for the changeup that's starting to get a bit better the more we see of it. That pitch is a distant third and a really important pitch for him if he wants to stick as a starter, but the fastball slider could be in a bullpen right now. The Yankees ended up using him as a starter, though, in six outings, and those six outings only went 29 innings, but he gave them what, he ne- what they needed. Right, if if you look at any of the advanced metrics, they would point towards you know regression, and I think that's understandable given that the command wasn't great. But even a 4.40 FIP, given that it was his first six starts at the big leagues after making the jump from AAA where he was walking six per nine, 4.40 FIP in Yankee Stadium, not that bad, really not that bad. And the ERA at 3.07 is a testament to how much he can really outpitch the FIP. Sometimes he's going to be a guy that I think will consistently outperform the FIP uh, from time to time because of his ability to strand base runners. He's going to give up home runs, which are going to inflate the FIP, but he's going to get out of a lot of jams. He's going to be effective in being able to just K guys when he needs to K them because of that high VLO, high spin fastball and the wipeout slider. The heater sits at 96 miles per hour, tops out at 98 with absurd spin rates at about 2,400 RPMs or just over. He has a a lot of life on that pitch up in the zone. Gets plenty of swing and miss. The slider is 85 to 87 range with just nasty late bite and is a horizontal late breaking menace for right-handed hitters. And because of how late it breaks and how horizontally sharp it is, he backlegs lefties really effect- effectively with the offering. And then the changeup, again, he's shown flashes of that pitch being decent. And when he actually throws it, in the strike zone, it's really darn hard to hit. The problem is a lot of times he goes to that changeup and it's not a competitive pitch, but when he does throw it as a competitive pitch, it has a good profile. It moves well. He is able to make it look enough like the fastball as well and could be a really solid offering. It does blend a bit at times with the fastball because it sits. It's like a 92, 93 mile an hour changeup. Uh, so if you can find a little bit more separation, a little bit more, you know, bite to it um, and have it be more of that true change up, he'd be in good shape because right now it seems like it's hard and harder when it comes to the velos and you need some more separation there. But overall, I mean, this is a guy who has stuff that he could be in the back of the bullpen you know, this coming year. And this is something that the Yankees have struggled with. If there's one thing in their system they haven't been great with, it's turning the guys that have stuff over command into being guys that have better command, right? I mean, we saw it with Dellen Batances ending up in the bullpen. And that's okay because they end up being lights out bullpen guys. But Dellen Batances ends up in the bullpen. Jonathan Loisega ends up in the bullpen. Uh, there's probably examples more recently than I'm missing, but you can even look at Luis Medina, who has not been able to put it together command-wise. I think that's a common case here, and it does make me a little bit wary when evaluating, you know, the likelihood that he'll puts it together. I mean, this guy did walk a ton of of dudes. And this was in AAA too. He's walking six per nine. In fact, actually at the big league level, he was marginally better in the walk department. The K rates didn't take a huge hit. So we'll see. I think it's, it's a guy that, you know, if he puts it together, he could be a nasty swing and miss middle rotation type starter. That's going to have those blow up starts when the command's not there. Uh, but if the changeup can even be sprinkled in at 10% of the time, his fastball slider combination is so good that he can really ride majority two pitches and be that Freddie Peralta type, but a changeup would make a big difference or just pure command gun to my head. I'm probably saying this guy ends up in the bullpen, but still a really exciting piece there for the New York Yankees. 
Coming in at number five now is a breakout offensive prospect. A surprise, surprise. Everson Pereira. Everson Pereira, 20 years old this past season, was just fantastic. The center field prospect added some muscle in the offseason, and it was more than visible in the batted ball data. I mean, we saw exit velos, average exit velos, max exit velos just jump a ton, and he exploded to 20 home runs across all levels this past season. For example, he only had, or for reference, I should say, he only had five home runs in his first 59 professional games between 2018 and 2019, and then those 20 home runs across all levels this past season. He has battled injuries throughout his brief professional career so far as an international free agent back in 2018 when he signed, but or 2017, excuse me, and was given a pretty big signing bonus at $1.5 million after the Yankees you know, had been in the penalty box for a while. Uh, that was one of the first guys they really wanted to come out and you know spend on, and, and understandably so. He's been banged up, and injuries limited him uh, to not getting as much exposure and at-bats through 2018, 2019. And then 2021 was banged up a little bit. Yankees wanted to slow roll him. And even in limited, limited action, I mean, this guy hardly didn't even play 50 games and hit 20 home runs between one of those came in the complex league, five of those came in low A, and then 14 home runs in 27 high A games. Like, are you freaking kidding me? A big part of that is the strength that he added. But another part of it is just that he doesn't get cheated. The guy just does not get cheated, right? When he pulls the trigger, his slugging on contact is ridiculous. He can get a bit out of control at times. He can try to, you know, attack pitches that maybe not might not be the best to attack and end up fouling it off or whiffing. But when he connects, when he puts the ball in play, it goes a long, long, long way. I mean, his slugging on contact on fastballs was... 854, which is really solid, but the slugging on contact on breaking balls and changeups, 1174 and 1429, respectively. And again, we didn't see too much on the changeups, right? He only put seven balls in play, but hit multiple home runs on changeups, only put 23 balls in play on breaking balls, and hit several home runs there. Uh, so it's really the quality of contact's not a question there. It's really just the quality of swing choices that we're going to have to see. But again, Pereira is somebody that has not had a ton of at-bats under his belt. I mean, last year was the most he has played since 2018, which is where he ex played exclusively in rookie ball. So it's the most he's played since playing exclusively in rookie ball. He had only had 18 games above the rookie ball level in low A back in 2019, and it was short season. Uh, so we really haven't seen him play at all uh, in any real full season context until this past season, and he was able to keep the K rate under 30%. I think that's the most encouraging part, right? Like, yes, there was some swing and miss, but between high a, or low A and high A, still kept the K rate at 27% and walked at a 13% clip. So we're still looking at a, a hitter who had some semblance of approach at the plate, and somebody that really didn't have that much experience in the past. In center field, I was really impressed by the reads. As he added that muscle, less of a plus runner, more of a 50 to 55 runner, but he gets great jumps out there. He has really good instincts in center field and still has that above average speed that translates in terms of being able to close in on the gap. And with a good jump and above average speed, you can be an above average defender in center field. He has the arm to be able to accommodate a move to the corner if necessary, but he's a guy that should stick in center without a doubt in my mind. And I think that power is going to continue to translate. And really, he doesn't have egregious chase rates. I think it's more of just the approach of the pitches that he decides to attack and when in the zone, sometimes swinging and missing through pitches that 
he really shouldn't have been swinging at in the zone, right? If he was fooled, still fully pulling the trigger uh, instead of finding a way to, you know, maybe if that's not the pitch you were hunting in that count, just shutting it down and taking it for a strike and recalibrating. These are all things that'll come with at-bats and more experience. But Pereira, a guy who has staying power in center field, a guy whose power definitely is showing and after adding that physicality and is a good athlete and I think was somewhat decent in approach given the lack of experience, Pereira is a guy that belongs at number five in the system and is on the top 100 watch list as we continue to get some more looks at him. As far as I'm concerned, that's a really solid top five farm system here, or top five two-year farm system here for the New York Yankees. Is it the Baltimore Orioles? No. Is it the Tampa Bay Rays? No. Is it the Seattle Mariners? Probably not. But it is still a really talented top five with guys with massive upside, guys with some decently like decently high floors, and balancing all of that together, good position variability here too. Uh, maybe you'd like to see one more pitcher in the fold, but a pair of shortstops, a center fielder, a pitcher, and then at number six is a guy that I'm as bullish on as, as anybody, and I'm as excited about as anybody in Ken Waldachuk, who I'm going to talk about in the very part two that's going to come out legitimately minutes after this. Just wanted to split it up into two episodes for listening purposes. I feel like when people see an hour, 20 minutes, they get intimidated. You can stow this one away or the next episode away for later. So I figured I'll split it up into five and five so I can really give these guys their time of day and not run it into an hour and a half episode and have it be this crazy long piece here because there's a lot of interesting depth guys in the Yankee system. But when you look at the top five, I think it's a really intriguing and fun top five. And there's a lot of guys still to go in the back end that I really think are worthy of a lot of attention and a lot of conversation. And because of how long I ended up spending on some of these guys at the top, which is a big reason why the delay on the giant system ended up happening. Uh, I'm going to split this into two. So right behind this, probably by the time you're listening to this part two on the Yankee system will already be out. And that will go through Ken Waldachuk, one of my favorites who checks in at number six, and then recently drafted Trey Sweeney, Austin Wells, Luis Medina. Where do all these guys stack up? Hayden Wesneski as well. You start to see a lot more arms in the back end here, uh, and I'm really interested to see how these guys continue to develop, but there's a lot to like about a lot of these guys, and I will get into those in the next episode. So as always, thank you for listening to part one here and part two coming out right behind If you were excited for the Giants, I'm very sorry that's coming very soon, but just know that that means more thorough write-ups because I'm going to put more time into it, uh, and I really am excited to give you part two here just behind this on this Yankees farm system. If you enjoy the podcast, would really appreciate if you could take a moment to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts. You can now do that on Spotify as well. really helps me with growing this new show. The numbers have been so exciting and so awesome, and I really appreciate all of you for hopping on board and supporting the podcast out of the gate. It's been a blast so far. As always, thank you for listening, and part two of this Yankees Farm System Rundown is probably out now by the time you're listening to this. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.